On Boxing Day 2004, the shoreline of a dozen countries, including Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India, the Maldives, and Thailand, was devastated by a horrifying and massive tsunami. The destruction caused in just a few minutes was unimaginable. More than 225,000 lives were lost. Countless homes were wiped out. It took years to recover from the devastation. As the rebuilding process began, one of the strange discoveries was that prior to the tsunami, animals living close to the sea instinctively seemed to sense the danger that was approaching. As a result, they moved to higher ground or further inland, and they escaped the effects of the killer waves. After the tsunami, the people are now wiser regarding what they should do if a similar disaster threatens to strike again. There was a Christian song that was very popular when I was a child. It was called, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. If only the people of Sri Lanka had been ready for the tsunami. If only they'd all been on higher ground. If only our friends or loved ones might be ready when Jesus Christ returns and he judges the world. Because the judgment of Jesus will be far worse than the Boxing Day tsunami. It won't be just 200,000 who are affected. The whole world will be judged. Look again at verse 40. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. One well-known preacher asked the elders of the church when they gathered for prayer before the evening service, do you think the Lord might return tonight? Oh no, not tonight, they replied. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. But isn't a belief that Jesus Christ will return to earth just an ancient myth? Well, one thing is certain. Jesus came the first time. He lived an amazing life. He died on the cross. He paid for our sin. And there's no doubt he rose from the dead. If you don't believe me, come along to the Exploring Christianity course this term and go over the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that Jesus came the first time, the fact of the resurrection, means that we can indeed take Jesus seriously when he says that he will return to earth. He will come at an hour when we do not expect him. Well, how can we be ready for the return of Jesus? Should we go off into a commune and opt out of life 
and just wait for the return of Jesus. Some people have thought this, but this is not what Jesus wants from us. There are three lessons to draw from these verses. Number one, waiting, yes, but also working, secondly, and thirdly, ready for judgment. Firstly then, waiting, verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Can you picture the scene? The servants are indeed ready for service. It's the middle of the night, but they're waiting for their master to return. But here's the big surprise, verse 37. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve will make them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Aren't those staggering verses? When Jesus comes back, he will serve us, Jesus is saying. How will he serve us? He'll give us the things He's achieved for us. We must let him serve us. Jesus doesn't need us. We need him. We need the forgiveness he died to procure for us. We need salvation from hell for heaven. We need to be given a relationship with God. We need to be given the privilege of serving him. All of these things are given to us by Jesus. And these things are pictured for us in the image of Jesus waiting on us at table. I wonder, will you let Jesus serve you? Are you waiting to be given the fullness of of all Jesus has for you. Verse 38. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. Whenever Jesus comes back, we need to be waiting expectantly for him. And then Jesus changes the picture. Verse 39. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. It's a comical thought. Imagine a burglar who sends out appointment cards in advance. I'll be working in your area on January the 10th at 2 a.m. Thieves don't operate like that, do they? They maintain the element of surprise. Otherwise, 
we'd have the police ready to arrest them. Well, just as the burglar gives no warning, Jesus will give no warning. He will come, in fact, when we least expect him. Therefore, verse 40, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Are you waiting for him? But secondly, are you working for him? William Miller, founder of the Millerite movement, predicted that Jesus would come on the 21st of March, 1843. A very large number of Christians accepted his prophecy. When Jesus did not return, Miller predicted a new date, October the 22nd, 1844, in an event which is now called the Great Disappointment, many Christians sold their property and possessions, gave up their jobs, and prepared themselves for the second coming. Obviously nothing happened. The day came and went without incident. Jesus doesn't want us to go off and form a commune waiting for his return. No, Jesus expects us to work as we wait for him. He wants to find us profitably engaged when he arrives. So secondly, working, verse 41. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Peter is very aware of the crowds listening to Jesus. He's also aware that often Jesus' teaching is aimed at the twelve or at a wider group of disciples. Jesus doesn't answer Peter's question directly. But I think we can see that in fact, Jesus is speaking to both the disciples and the crowd. Verse 42. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? So the wise manager is working for Jesus while Jesus is away. Verse 43. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So on this basis... And on the basis of other Bible verses, Christians believe that there'll be work in the new creation. We won't be permanently on holiday. I hope that's not a disappointment to you. And amongst the rewards of the new creation will be different levels of responsibility. If Jesus finds us diligently working for him when he arrives, he'll give us more responsibility 
in the new creation. But, verse 45, suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Well, that's no good at all. Jesus expects us to be working for him while he's away. So are we? Do we believe that the great project of our lives is to live for Christ, to serve him with all the health and strength he blesses us with? Because thirdly, we need to be ready for judgment. Have a look at verse 46. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Surely, this kind of savagery has no place in modern thought. You will cut him to pieces and assign him in a place with the unbelievers. W.H. Auden, the poet, lived in New York City. He was an atheist. He believed there were no moral absolutes, no right and wrong, and that there would be no day of judgment. In September 1939, he went to the cinema to watch a newsreel. The newsreel showed the German invasion of Poland. At that stage, the full horrors of Nazism were not understood, not fully. That part of New York City had lots of German immigrants. Many of them, in the cinema, shouted encouragement to the German soldiers. Kill them! Kill them! They shouted. Auden was absolutely horrified. At that moment, his worldview was shattered because he knew that what he was witnessing on the screen and in the cinema was absolutely wrong. But his secular rationalism told him that there were no moral absolutes. There was no God, therefore there was no right or wrong. There was no such thing as evil. This atheistic mindset was shattered for Auden. He said, I left the cinema a seeker after an unconditional absolute. He found that a while later in Christ. This picture of judgment in verse 46 seems brutal and even out of date to our Western secular minds. But we shouldn't necessarily interpret these verses literally. 
what they're saying to us is that there will be a day of judgment. I put it to you, has the world needed a day of judgment any more than it does today? Think of the horrors of ISIS beheading people live on, on film. The horrors of child abuse. The Me Too movement. Powerful men who think that God is irrelevant when all the time, according to Jesus, he is watching them and he will repay them. But the trouble is, God will not just judge the terrible sin in other people's lives. God will judge the sin in my life. Unless I've asked Jesus to take responsibility for it. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all my sin. Therefore, he's taken the judgment I deserved. And I need not fear the day of his return. But what a terrifying day it will be. Verse 47. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. So this suggests judgment will be fair. There will be degrees of punishment according to knowledge. You may remember how Jesus said in Matthew 10, 15, that it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for the towns who reject him in his own day. Sodom and Gomorrah are the archetypal places of sin. They suffer a terrible judgment. But it is worse when we know about Jesus and we still reject him. There would seem to be degrees of punishment, degrees of suffering in hell. And then Jesus ends with the sobering words of verse 48b. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That's very sobering for us. Here we are. We're an evangelical church. We're taught God's word week in, week out. Many of us have sat under such teaching for decades. God expects much from us in return. 
He expects that we will live all out for Christ. And God will hold us accountable for this on the day of judgment. What have you done? What have I done with the truth about Jesus? That's the question that will be asked of us as believers. Don't end up like the person in verse 46, assigned a place with the unbelievers. That's a terrifying thought. We need to ask ourselves, am I genuinely trusting in Christ? Do I truly belong to him? Have I been saved? Am I confident for the day of judgment? For surely there must be such a day. The great evil of the world must be judged. But so must the evil in my heart and your heart. There will be a day of judgment. Jesus is very clear. So, are we ready for it? Are we living in the light of it? Are we dedicated to living for Christ? Is our bank account for Christ? Is our time for Christ? Does he get the best of us. And here's the thing. Are we concerned for our friends and our families and for those we meet in work or for our neighbours? Are we concerned for them? Are they ready for the return of Jesus? The return of Jesus is a terrifying thought. Out of his mercy, God has delayed this day of judgment so that many more can be saved before Jesus returns. But there will come a day when God says, enough. Too late. You were given your opportunity, and now Christ has returned. Now is the day of judgment. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We're going to have a time of prayer now. We'll stay as a big group, if that's okay. And let's pray for ourselves that we will be ready for the return of Jesus. Let's pray for those we know who are not ready now. Pray that God would come by his spirit. Pray for the Exploring Christianity course, that God would bring along to that course 
people who need to hear the gospel. Pray for our nation, that there be a great work of the Spirit, that people would turn to Christ in big numbers and be ready. So let's have a time of open prayer.